everyone. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Okay, so by now, you should know that I love a good underdog story. This week's podcast duo, well, they're super dogs. Forget about underdogs. They came from different fields, but together built what is now considered to be one of the most successful lifestyle brands in America. So says NASDAQ Inc. magazine and the Wall Street Journal. So, you know, they say it. It's really true. Their ingredient to success, you might ask, goats and a whole bunch of endurance. Together, they were able to win season 21 of The Amazing Race. They expanded their brand and they received Farmer of the Year recognition from the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, no less. I would like to welcome two New York City boys, founders of Beekman 1802, Dr. Brent Ridge and Josh Kilmer Purcell, known as... The Beekman Boys. Hi, you guys. It's great to have you on Everyone Talks to Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Liz. It's great to talk to you again. Okay, so tell us where you are. Brent, you begin. Explain to our listeners exactly your location and how that came about. Well, we are coming to you from Little Sharon Springs, New York, which is a very tiny village of population 547, kind of in the due center of New York State. Um, and we wound up here uh, back in 2008 after going on an apple picking trip in upstate New York when we were living and working in New York City in our prior careers and um, bought this farmhouse in upstate New York and took in a neighboring farmer who was losing his farm. And then shortly after we bought the farm, the recession hit and we both lost our jobs, um, had you know no way to pay the mortgage and literally Googled, what can we make with goat milk? And <laughs> We started making goat milk soaps with one of our neighbors, and our entire company was based on that, goat milk and neighbor by neighbor by neighbor. Well, this is incredible to me because let's just back it up a little bit. Brent, you are a doctor. You were working for Martha Stewart Omnimedia. This was a huge company back then, publicly traded, the whole shoot and match. Josh, you're a writer, highly, highly read. And of course, New York Times bestseller. We got to throw that in there. Mm -hmm. uh, this, is a, uh, this is not just, oh, we were visiting while we were apple picking. You guys, come on. I mean, this sounds <laughs> like Diane Keaton and Baby Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, we when we first bought the farm, we it was going to be our weekend place because, as you said, we both had very good careers in the city. Um, and when we first saw the property in 2006, mm -hmm. um, you know, the future was very, very bright. You know, we were both in our early 30s and, um, you know, we, we just couldn't imagine anything going wrong. You remember, they were giving out mortgages on the street in 2006. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We, we bought Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know how that turned out. We bought, uh, you know, we, we cashed in almost everything we owned to buy this million-dollar empty farm um, and just thinking of it as a weekend place. And it really was that recession, 2008. We And we lost our jobs within 30 days of each other. People remember that September, how bad it was. And My pink slip was on very, very good stationery for Martha. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, she made, she made the paper herself. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that greases the skids of a very rough road. You know, we're almost facing the same thing right now, but what a difference at the moment for you guys, because one could argue with all the required hand washing now, your soap, and, and yeah, I got to get to Home Shopping Network and QVC because that's just cray, but your soap is is in huge demand. So it's a completely different feel, even as so many people 
more than 30 million people in this country have lost their jobs in the blink of an eye. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, we've been doing uh, Facebook Lives and videos with small business owners uh, since beginning of this this pandemic mess. And, you know, as we said, we are as anxious as anyone is. It's an anxious time. Um, but we might be a little less fearful because we launched our company in, you know, the, the last most horrible time uh, during the recession. And, um, and so we know we're going to get through this. We know, you know, small businesses are going to get through it. Many of them are going to change uh, dramatically, but it, it's got that ability to pivot um, and make the most of the situation as it's changing daily. Small businesses can be better off than large businesses right now. And as you said in, in your introduction, you know, we were kind of the ultimate underdog and, um, you know, look at us now. So if our story can give anyone inspiration that they can start in the worst of situations or have to start all over again, um, you can do it. All right. You've Googled what to make out of goat's milk. Up comes soap. That's a huge leap from looking at something on the web and then actually churning it out. How did you begin to do this? And I, I have to hear some of the failures because I can just see, it's almost like Lucy and Ricky on, on the assembly line. It wow. is. It, you know, we, we did, we started making our first bars of soap and uh, we, we uh, were wrapping them around our dining room table. You know, it was a, a typical kitchen table business. Um, and, uh, you know, one of our first big challenges was we, got some very large orders in the very beginning. And w one of our first big orders was from anthropology. Um, and Wait, you know, how, we were, did, how did that happen? Well, we had a little story written about us um, in, I was it in the, no, the way that the way anthropology came oh, about that, yeah. was that we started making the bars of soap. And then I set about thinking how we could get these into um, a store in New York city. And so I did cold calls to Bergdorf Goodman, to Barney's, to Henry Bindle, you know, just me with my little bags of soap. And um, everyone turned me down except for Henry Bindle, which then was this beautiful department store on Fifth Avenue. Right. And um, they said, well, we won't bring you in as an item, but if you will come um, every day for the holiday season, so for this two-month period, um, we will give you a little spot on our floor and a little table and we can see how it goes. And if you perform well, then we'll bring you in as a product line. So every day Brent would get up, make the three and a half hour trip down to New York City with, the, with our pickup truck full of soap, stand on the floor all day, drive back up, get back home at 1 a.m., reload and head back down the next morning. And I did that every day for two months. And one, one day um, that I was there, the buyer for anthropology came through, you know, just looking for, you know, new ideas and new products and heard the story about us making this soap. And that's how we got into anthropology. And I remember that they ordered like they ordered 40,000 bars of soap. Yeah. Whoa. Which sounded great. Uh, but we were just hand wrapping and hand making these bars of soap. And I remember timing Brent with a stopwatch and, <laughs> and saying, you know, Brent, we are, you know, if, if you wrap for the next 10 days, 24 seven, we are not going to make this deadline. Yeah, and we, that's when our neighbors came in 
and volunteered uh, and, and took shifts around our dining room table and helped us wrap that very first big order. Because in order to get that that big order, we our margin was like three cents per bar of soap. <laughs> and, and so we couldn't afford to pay anyone. So everybody came in and volunteered. You know, all of our neighbors came to volunteer and help us get those um, bars of soap out. Um, and then uh, one of the, the, mo- the, the tragedies of our early company was that one of the producers from the Oprah Winfrey show – um, was in anthropology and saw the bars of soap. And the following year, when they were doing Oprah's favorite things, when she was still on TV and it was this huge thing, right. um, one of the producers said, oh, Oprah wants to feature your soaps, um, but you need to be able to produce, I forget ex- how much the number was at that point, like some huge number. Yes, our dining room table was not big enough to handle Oprah's favorite things. So we had to turn down Oprah in the second year of our company, um, which um, was... Uh, it turned it out to be a good thing. Turned out to be a good thing. We weren't, we weren't ready for that yet. That is as important a lesson as huge successes early on. And that is that you don't want to over-promise and then under-deliver. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so Beekman 1802, named after the farm, which of course was built in 1802. So you kept that name. You, uh, you, you're doing well with the goat milk soaps. And then what? Well, we started working with um, other neighbors. So we, we would hear about a blacksmith or a weaver or a potter or a small food producer or another small farmer who were making amazing products, but they weren't able to necessarily uh, grow them and market them. So that's when our brand really took off. We we became an umbrella brand for other uh, small business, small craftspeople and artisans to um, put their products on. So that's how we started to grow. Um, and then probably one of our biggest uh, strokes of luck was when a small TV retail company approached us. Mm-hmm. It was called Evine. Um, now it's called Shop HQ, and we were actually. Um, doing a book signing for one of our cookbooks in William Sonoma. And this random person came up and said, Oh, um, I've used your soaps. Would you bring them onto um, this TV network to sell? And we had never heard of the TV network before and really had not paid much attention to TV retail. Um, And we said, sure, why not? And so, um, you know, we, we loaded up all of our soaps and we, we, we thought, you know, how are we going to stand out? Cause we, we knew TV retail people, you know, are clicking through the channels or, you know, when they go right by and we're like, how are we going to get people to watch? So we brought baby goats. And uh, so we stood there with our, our bars of soap and baby goats and, uh, and being able to tell our story like that directly to the, to the consumer um, really changed the course of our business. And then of course, from there we grew to uh, HSN and QVC and we, we still bring our baby goats. Okay. Let's not gloss over HSN and QVC. You guys crushed it. In fact, last year, I want our listeners to know, this little company that started around a kitchen table set the record for the largest beauty brand launch in the combined 37-year history of both of those networks. That's incredible. To what do you attribute that? It's You guys have great personalities, I have to tell you. It's got to be part of the shtick, right? I mean, well, well, how is yeah. it that you connected like that? Well, it's really my good looks and humor and my <laughs> intelligence. Um, but no, I think, yes, I think you have to be able to tell your story. Um, like any founder should be able to tell their story. Um, 
But, you know, by the time we got onto the platform like HSN or QVC, we had already been in business for um, about seven years um, and, you know, struggling that whole way. And but but really working hard to earn every single customer. And we call all of our customers neighbors because of the way the company started. You know, so many companies now believe that you have to start with, you know, a huge infusion of cash from investors or private equity or, you know, whatever. And and we, we feel like that actually can harm a small business. If you don't know that you have a business that's going to work, that, that you've tried and you, you've had to pivot and you've had to make changes and evolve, um, you, you don't really have a solid business. So we built our company to the point where it could be a success when we launched. Because we built it neighbor by neighbor by neighbor. So when we when we moved to those networks, the neighbors followed us. And, you know, they are each one invested in the success of the company because they feel like they've been there with us from the beginning. I love how you brought the baby goats on with you on the network and how you had really fallen into the goat milk opportunity, I guess you'd call it. I have to bring this up because I am sure some of our listeners miss this. But when I heard it, I immediately thought, I got to ask the Beekman boys about this. <laughs> this goes back to last year, November 14th, at a President Donald Trump rally, when Louisiana Republican Senator John Kennedy was up on stage, and he said something that I want to play for our listeners, and then I have to hear what your response was. Let's okay. listen to Senator John Kennedy at the Trump rally back in November. I stand before you tonight as a proud, deplorable and unlike unlike some of the folks in Washington D.C. I'm talking about the cultured cosmopolitan goat's milk latte drinking <laughs> avocado Okay. First of all, Senator, first of all, Senator Kennedy's been on the show. He's great. He's fine. But when I heard that, first of all, goat's milk latte is not a thing in Washington, (laughs) D.C. What did you guys think when you heard that? Well, he was obviously just trying to think of all of the super premium and luxurious things he could name. <laughs> so, you know, milk and latte and avocado toast all in one sentence. So, um, you know, he's good with the power of association. He's a good Southerner. He turns a good phrase. I hear a little bit of a Southern accent there. What, what am I hearing? Yes, uh, this is Brent. I, I grew up in North Carolina. Um, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, so thank you for picking, picking up my accent. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm a Californian. I have zero accent. A little bit of Canadian because my folks were, uh, came from Canada. But that to me was was funny because I thought goat milk latte is suddenly goat's milk is fancy when in essence, Sharon Springs is a down to earth town mm-hmm. that is very small and reflects much of rural America, does it not? Absolutely. And, um, you know, we're, we're a gay couple and, you know, we've been together for 20 years now. And, and one of the first questions we always get asked in, in the media is, you know, how was it to be a gay couple in a very rural, a very, you know, very red community? And uh, honestly, 
there's never been an issue um, in our lives in Sharon Springs. We have been embraced by the community. Um, I've, I've always said homophobia is sort of a luxury of the middle class. Uh, you know, very wealthy, educated people may, you know, it, it's, it's not a big deal. And, and very rural people have got better things to do. Um, and so, so we've been accepted, you know, from the very beginning as full neighbors. Uh, and, and, uh, so, yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the things when we, when we talk about, you know, partisanship and, you know, there's so much divide in the country, um, there, there's only divide if people have an unwillingness to listen and to work together. And I think one of the things that made us assimilate, you know, as you point out, we were two city slippers, um, it, what made us assimilate into the community so easily was that we never undervalued or underappreciated our neighbors. Um, you know, when we were starting the farm, we needed their help to understand, here's how you start raising chickens. Here's how you start raising pigs. Like we, we needed their help and we went to them and asked them for their help in a very humble way. And honestly, everybody, everybody likes the opportunity to be um, acknowledged as um, uh, the, the leader or, or the person who can pass on information. Um, and I think this really what ingratiated us to the community is that we acknowledged that they were better than us at something. And, you know, then it came full circle because when we started to grow our business, members of our community started to come to us for business advice. Um, and so we really do, even to this day, continue to collaborate very successfully with our community when we have festivals or we have promotions with Beekman 1802. Um, everybody in the community benefits from it. Well, to that end, I would simply say, and of course, I'm from L.A., where if you're not gay, you wish you were. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's how I grew up. To be very honest here, this country has way bigger problems than questioning love between any two individuals. So. Therefore, I, I'm always amazed at people who are judgmental and, and simply try and fight something when we have so many bigger problems to deal with. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As we look forward to the actual business here, one of the things that we talk about so much on this podcast is the fact that blood, sweat, and tears are what turn into green. Yes. And it is very, very hard for a lot of people now to understand that that's part of the deal in climbing the mountain to success. And they, they expect everything to just happen. And mm -hmm. I think it's important to hear from you guys that yes, yes. failing is actually a real advantage eventually. 
Oh, absolutely. You always learn from your failures. You learn the most from your failures. But I'm glad that you actually said that because I think, you know, part of the success of our company is that we started in the midst of a recession. Um, and so we were um, always very cautious about every dime that we spent. You know, we didn't spend a dime until we had brought in two dimes. Um, and, you know, I think over the course of the last maybe six or seven years, we've all or a lot of you know, businesses, startups, founders have kind of fallen into this idea of a um, shark tank society where, you know, you just have to come up with an idea and then someone's going to give you money to fund your idea. Um, But you don't build a business that way, um, a business with any type of fundamentals or foundation. And um, I think that even before the pandemic and, you know, the the most likely recession that we're heading into um, started this time, you already started to see people question, um, you know, what was happening in the economy and the levels of private equity and, um, you know, startup companies who weren't making profit or still earning these huge multiples of their revenue. Um, People are already starting to question that. And I think now when, you know, you have something like the pandemic, um, you know, bring a halt to everything, then you really do see that a lot of the businesses that were built over the last five, six or seven years really did not have a good foundation. They, yeah, they were hollow. Um, and, you know, our, our company motto from, from day one and all 180 of our employees could recite it to you, you know, at the moment's notice is simple. Work hard, never quit, help your neighbor. Those three sentences guide everything we do. And, and, and that's the reason we've been successful. So I don't know if you guys know, but I cover Warren Buffett, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, Richard Hathaway, chairman and CEO. And there are two companies he talks about having purchased. And one of them was one of his earlier buys. And that was the Nebraska Furniture Mart. The -hmm. Nebraska Furniture Mart was founded by a Russian Jewish immigrant named Rose Blumpkin. And it was during the late depression. And she had no money. So she began selling her own furniture out of her basement. Mm. And mm. that became the largest freestanding furniture store in the United States. Mm-hmm. Warren bought that. And he always talks about how it was a handshake deal. He didn't even look at her books. He just knew that the work ethic and caring about the employees was there. The second one is the Pampered Chef. He bought that company, which again was started in a woman's basement because she was down on her luck, needed money. And boy, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Obviously, during this very difficult time, I'm interested to know how your business is doing, particularly because hand washing is an essential behavior now to save us from catching this pandemic. And our hands, many of us are rubbed raw because of the harsh chemicals that are in many of the antibacterial soaps. Can you talk about how your business has been affected by this and why your soap is different from everything else out there? Yep. Uh, Well, you know, we are most famous for our bars of soap, our goat milk bars of soap. And um, what makes them um, wonderful for the skin is that soap has, our goat milk soap has the same pH as human skin. So you don't strip the pH um, from your skin when you're cleansing with it. And yes, we were in an ideal situation when the pandemic started, one being known for soaps in the first place. Uh, But then as people, you know, started buying up whatever soap they could find, not even our soap and sanitizer, they immediately started noticing 
the impact that all of the chemicals were having on their skin, whether it's, you know, the alcohol and the sanitizer or whether it's the chemicals in the, um, the cleansing products that they were using. Um, so even if they didn't uh, initially come to us for this um, particular type of soap, um, this very gentle cleansing soap, um, now they have. Um, so we have seen a lot of new neighbors um, find Beekman 1802 during um, this crisis. And what's gratifying for us is um, when, you know, someone comes through the doorway um, out of a need, you know, like for a, a more gentle soap, um, and then they come back again. And on their second order, they go into the hair care or they go into the skin care because they've immediately realized the quality of the product and the benefit of that goat milk as the primary ingredient in the product. Um, so, you know, what we're working hard right now is not only making enough soap for everybody who's asking for it, uh, but also really working on um, neighbor retention. So all of these new neighbors that have been brought into our um, ecosystem because of this, that we really earn the respect and the trust of every single one of them so that they continue to be Beekman neighbors for years to come. I love on your website how you say that your artisan community supports more than 300 plus skilled makers and craftspeople simply from this little business you started at your dining room table during the 2008 financial crisis. As we finish, guys, I'm really, really wanting you to share the number one lesson you would pass on to people listening who maybe have a dream, but who've lost their jobs just like you two did. Um, I, the number one thing that we've learned and we learned in the first recession was that anxiety is a good thing. Um, everyone's worried and anxious, but what anxiety means is that your brain is working overtime to find a solution. It's, it's running through every possible scenario it can come up with and 99 out of a hundred of those are not going to work. Um, but that one solution that you only come up with because you're anxious um, is going to be the one that is going to cause your your business to start or your business to pivot. Um, so don't think of anxiety as something you need to get rid of. It's something you need to harness. Oh, you're speaking just like a New Yorker. Anxiety is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so lovely to have you guys. Brent, Josh, we wish you much, much success and much Goat's milk froth soap uh, in your future. Beekman 1802 is the company. I want you guys to all check it out. It is just such a great story and a great product, I am sure. Although that's the next thing. Uh, as soon as I'm done with you guys, I'm ordering some for my son because he's 15 and his hands are all cracked and bleeding oh. from all of his hand washing, I know. Uh, anyway, best of luck to you, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank Liz. you very much. Watch your hands. That's right. Everybody, everybody listening, wash your hands. You do not need the fancy chemicals, by the way. Soap and water will do the trick. And I just want you to know that also psychologically doing the trick is to listen to these podcasts and embrace the messages that you learn and aim high. And of course, once you make the money, you got to watch The Claven Countdown Monday through Friday on the Fox Business Network, 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll see you then and stay tuned for the next amazing aspirational business story right here on Everyone Talks to Liz. 